So I recognize what I'm about to say um, isn't in the original text. Like the Bible that you have in your hand, it was, it's already been translated, uh, unless you're reading it in either um, Hebrew, Greek, or Aramaic. Uh, it's already been translated. So I understand that. But having said that, uh, this week as we read about Jesus' temptation in Matthew chapter 4, I was struck by how the smallest difference can be really significant. Like Satan comes along to Jesus and just says, if. It's in our English language, it's just two characters. And to respond to that, if, Jesus says, it. And it's just the difference of a T to an F that Jesus stands in the authority of what is, and Satan tries to sow doubt around what could be. And it's not a significant difference, but it makes all the difference in the world. One character is the difference between lies and truth and deception. And so I want to talk about a small change that the Holy Spirit may want to bring to your heart and life that can make a really big difference. And here's the question. Are you tired all the time? Are you tired? Do you go through life tired? Now, I don't mean season of life tired. Like if you've got a baby, you should be tired. Like, there's nothing we can do to help you. It's just you're going to be real, real tired. So turn to the person beside you and go, that's not very nice. I know, but it's true. Like, anything else is just a lie. Like, from the time we had our first child, I've just been tired. Right? And it doesn't change. Give me hope. I have no hope to offer you today. It's just... You're just going to be tired. But no, I'm not talking about a season of life. I'm not talking about this is a really busy season or whatever. I mean like at a deeper level. How's your soul? And here's my fear. Many of us are used to living with our souls so depleted that we wouldn't even know how to describe what being filled looks like. We wouldn't even know how to describe what being filled feels like. So are you tired all the time? Jesus said that this may be a source issue, not a season of life and not a scheduling issue. This might be a source issue. Let me explain. We could use this analogy in a lot of different ways. I've selected this one. After obtaining, if you ever did not have a driver's license and then you obtained a driver's license, you experience something new the moment you are a licensed driver who drives away either on their own for the first time or with a passenger, but you are not in this seat. You've just had a little shift over to this seat, but now everything has changed. There are many drivers who, when you talk to them, they have been driven to locations their entire lives. Yet the moment they are behind the wheel, suddenly they don't know how to get from where they are to where they've been many times. Because they're not just being driven, they are now driving. And how many of you know when you are a passenger prince or princess, it's very different than when you're driving, right? The feedback is not helpful, but you're gonna give it anyways. But it's very different when you're driving because you're doing something, you're thinking about routes, you're paying attention. It's just different. This is essentially, by the way, Matthew chapter 10. For Matthew chapter 1 all the way through to chapter 9, Jesus has essentially been driving. 
He's been doing all the ministry, and the disciples have been passenger princes alongside. And they've been fielding questions, and they've been watching him. And for many of us as followers of Christ, this could describe how we follow Jesus. We want Jesus to do everything. And what you find in Matthew chapter 10 is that he accomplishes everything, but he wants us to do something. And so he invites us. God is all sufficient. He could in his own being take care of everything that he desires to do. But if you read your Bible, if you are believing that the next move of God is just going to be exclusively God doing everything, you've not read your Bible. Because when God moves, he uses you and he uses me. He uses people. He doesn't have to, all sufficient, but he does and it gives us purpose. Again, this is Matthew chapter 10. Jesus essentially says to the disciples, I'm gonna put you in the driver's seat. Jesus has been exclusively ministering, but now the disciples are also going to begin to minister. He has just said in Matthew chapter nine that the harvest was ready, but there were too few laborers. And then he introduces us to the first 12 laborers that Jesus is gonna send out. We're introduced to Jesus' 12 disciples. Why did Jesus not have 15 disciples? Why did he not have 17 disciples? Because he's the same God of the New Testament, of the Old Testament. and the Old Testament, you see 12 tribes. In the New Testament, he picks 12 disciples. Same story. They are provide, here's what Jesus says. They are to provide healing and freedom to others. What they are not to do is to build a brand about themselves. They are ministers of the gospel, not theirs, his. They are to bring healing and freedom to others, not build a brand for themselves. This is what Jesus says. And towards the end of the chapter, Jesus says something stunning about them and then, of course, the future us as his disciples. Matthew 10, 40 to 42. Whoever receives you, his disciples, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. Whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Now in this scripture, in Matthew chapter 10, little ones, everyone say little ones. Little ones, in this context, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. But it is a Jewish idiom to describe those who are overlooked within a community little ones. He's not talking about kids. He's talking about those who are overlooked, who might need significance. Who is not overlooked in any community? Prominent community members. Those who are wealthy, those with power, usually those with influence, they're not overlooked, they're looked to. And then there are those who are overlooked that society doesn't see. In Jesus' time, women and children, and also those who are poor and sick, those who had leprosy and specific diseases. In our times, it's different, but it's yet the same. And so Jesus says to his disciples, who, by the way, were overlooked. They were not the rabbis. They were not the elites. They were not those things. But Jesus is actually going to touch one prominent member of this group. His name's Matthew. He's writing the book. Okay. Now, little ones refers to this, and, and here's what Jesus says is, because they're little ones, because they're overlooked, here's what they're not used to. They are not used to walking in authority. They are used to be delegated to, and they are used to doing what needs to be done, because if they don't do it, nobody else is gonna do it, which can lead you to living a life very, very tired. 
They're not used to walking in their authority. And so Jesus says to them kindly and with love, little ones. And this is the language, by the way, of a king. Whoever receives you receives me. This is the language of a king. Do you know what this is also the language of? This is the language of a father. It's the language of the story of the prodigal son, if you can remember it, when the son comes home and says, I'm no longer worthy to be your son, and the father says, no, you're not, but because of how good I am, you will forever be my son. God is both king and he is both father. See him as both. One is to live in awe and beautiful fear of, and the other is to have no fear because he's your father. It's not either or, it's both and. And so they're not used to this weight of authority because kids of the king, here's what Jesus is saying to his little ones. Now they can walk into a space with an inherent authority looking to serve, even if it's only a cup of cold water. I'm gonna pause here because some of you might find in this moment a little bit or significant. It's a small shift, but it can bring freedom to some of your hearts today. How many of you know that if you come upon a group of people who have no access to water and you bring a cup of cold water, you are bringing something that is insufficient for the scope of the need that they have? Okay. My sweater got a little stuck. You're bringing something that's insignificant, and here's the temptation. When you look at the need and you look at what you can do, if it feels insignificant, oftentimes we don't even offer that. And Jesus is actually saying to them, even if it's just a cup of cold water to this one, give it. Give it. Don't let your spiritual enemy cause you to be overwhelmed at the size of the problem that you look at it and you can't solve all of it, but you have something to offer and then you withhold offering the one thing that you can give. And some of you can be set free because you are not called by God to solve every one of society's problems. You are not. Somebody is and it is somebody else's purpose And you have to be clear on, God, what have you asked me to do in this season of my life where you're not called to fix everybody, but you're called to walk alongside of somebody. You're not called to walk through someone A to Z discipleship. You cannot walk walk with everyone, but you can walk with someone. You cannot fix every marriage, but you can walk with one marriage. You can't fix all the parenting problems in the world, all the societal problems, but you have a part to play. And your spiritual enemy will cause you to look at your insignificance and never offer it. And Jesus is saying, little ones, not with you. Even if it's just a cup of cold water, pour it out. Every one of us can encourage somebody every single day. Every single one of us can look around our office and just do something and be different. And again, it may not solve the whole problem. Pour it out, pour it out, pour it out. You're just and I am just little boys offering Jesus insignificant loaves and fishes to societal problems. It's not in whose hand, it's not that they're in our hands, it's that we put them in the king's hands. This is the heart of it. So again, some of you are so tired because you are living trying to solve every world problem. That is a demonic assignment to get you robbed, 
killed, stolen, and destroyed from, and it's to actually cause you to live defeated when you're called to live in victory. Even if you can't solve a whole problem does not mean that you shouldn't play a part. Jesus has been filling his disciples and he now begins to ask them to do, empty their cups in service of others. And again, here's what I want to say, and please hear me with both ears. It's not unique to me. I heard it from a preacher years ago. You're not responsible for filling, filling anyone else's cup, but you are responsible to empty yours. You're not responsible for how somebody receives, but you are responsible to pour out. And if you don't pour out, they can't receive. Now, they can reject it. They can throw it all. That's not your issue. It's not your issue. You're just responsible to empty and pour out your cup. But as you pour out your cup, here's the next question. You don't have an unlimited supply, so how do you get filled? Because living in the service of others, you know what it is? It's tiring if the source of your strength is exclusively you. So not to be tired, here's what many Christians do. Because they are soul tired, they stop pouring out their cup and they begin to live with a scarcity mindset. Like if I pour that out, then I will have, yeah. God, if I, I can't give because if I give, I will have Jehovah Jireh meets your needs. And so oftentimes we begin to hoard for ourselves. And the moment you pull back and hold for yourself, here's the declaration that you are not saying with words, but you are saying with your behavior. I am the source and the guardian of my strength. And if the disciples are to live in this way, then they are no longer living different from the culture in which they live. They are simply living like the prominent members of the community that Jesus has said, no, 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 you're not to live this way. This is not how the kingdom works. Different sources can be people-pleasing. That's a different source. Selfish gain is a different source. Trying or desiring worldly influence I don't think it's wrong to desire to be an influencer. I think you just gotta be really clear on how and whom and why you want to influence somebody. Notice how Jesus addresses this potential issue in an upfront manner with the disciples. Here's what it says. He called to him his 12 disciples and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. It says he called his 12 disciples and he gave them what? He gave them authority. Everyone say authority. authority. Let's be really smart here. Let's all be English teachers. What's the root word of authority? Author. Even if you don't know, just mumble something like, <laughs> that's what I did in class for like 13 years and it worked for me. And I can, that's great. <laughs> it comes from the word author comes from the word author. Authority is author. And so the creator who is God, the author, gives them specific authority. Only the author can give this. And so the author, the creator, gives his disciples, in this instance, specific authority to preach the good news and then to authenticate his message by performing creative miracles. And here's what I love and I pray you can see it today. I love how Matthew lists the 12 disciples by name. Why do I love that? Because God knows your name. He doesn't just say the disciples, he lists them. Peter, 
How many of you know some stories about Peter? Can I see your hands, please? Okay, let's keep doing this. Andrew, how many know some stories about Andrew? Okay. James. John. Philip. Some of you are like, I know one in Acts. Bartholomew. Okay, okay. Thomas. Not the doubt part. No, no. Imagine, imagine that's what everyone knows. Everyone knows I'm a doubter. <laughs> Poor guy. Okay, the guy who wrote the book, Matthew? James? Some of you are like, you already said James. Ah, there were two. Okay, Thaddeus. <laughs> the one guy in the book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot. Okay, couple. Oh, Judas Iscariot. But let's talk about Thaddeus. You may not know what Thaddeus did, but you know what? In the lineage of discipleship, Thaddeus is in the first 12 who from the ascension of Jesus to where we are today, his faithfulness gets the gospel to where we are. It isn't if everybody knows your name. That's a different kingdom. You may feel overlooked and you may feel like I'm surrounded by a bunch of Peters and all I am is a Thaddeus. Don't you ever diminish who you are. You are a disciple of the king. You are called by the king. You have a purpose from the king. And even if it feels like, man, other people seem to be solving these massive problems and all I am is pouring out cold water, you will stand before God and not be judged by your success, but by your faithfulness. This is what the scriptures teach. So there is no such thing as an insignificant Thaddeus in the kingdom of God. Jesus knows by name those whom are his disciples. And he calls those who are his disciples and gives them authority to cast out and to heal. And so here's my question. It's from a soul that needs to be filled. Here's what your mission should look like in life. For my mission and your mission, it should look like driving out darkness. And it should look like bringing healing through the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what every single one of us as disciples, our purpose should be doing. It should be driving back darkness and it should be bringing healing or wholeness where there is brokenness, whether it is physical, relational, emotional, financial, spiritual, it doesn't matter. It's bringing health and wholeness to those who are in need. And so to make you more like him, here's what I want you to see, is here's what Jesus does and this may give some of you insight into your life at this moment. To make you more like him, Jesus will, I promise you, he will do this. He will restrict your calling before expanding it to reach its ultimate purpose. He will test you with little. He will give you a really big dream and then he will test you with really insignificant things to see if you are faithful to steward more and grow into the original dream that God gave you. This is how God grows all of us. Go back into the Old Testament. It is the story of Joseph, what I just said. 
And so for you and I today, watch what we see here in this story, that Jesus calls these disciples in Matthew chapter 10 and he says to them, I want you to drive out darkness and I want you to bring healing, but you're only to go to the lost sheep of Israel. You are only to go to the Jewish people, no Gentiles. Now, how many of you know that God has a heart for the Gentiles? We is here. We get grafted in. Matthew 28, you're gonna go to the ends of the earth. But this isn't Matthew 28, this is Matthew 10. And before God expands their calling, he constricts it. Some of you are living in the weight of your dream and not your given assignment. And because you're not living in your given assignment, you are soul tired because you're trying to make the dream come true rather than focusing on what God has given you to fulfill. Mm. It's a bit of a soul session we're having here today. I can't tell you the number of times that I have said yes to things that God never asked me to carry. And when I go to him in complaint, not prayer, the loving feedback is, that's all on you. From love, that was all about your ego. That was all about your appetite. Like that's, I never asked you to carry that. I never asked you, hey, we're seed, not saviors. World's got big problems. You know what it needs? It needs good seed, and it needs people who water it, and it needs good servants. You know what it doesn't need is any saviors. There's a perfect one, his name is Jesus. Let's point people to him. Let's keep going. So there's a deeper truth. You may be tired due to the frustration of unfulfilled dreams because you won't allow Jesus to form. You won't allow Jesus to drive out darkness out of you. Exactly. <laughs> you won't let Jesus set you free or heal something at a deeper level. So, so you may be tired because you're chasing unfulfilled dreams or your soul might be tired because the enemy has legitimate access to a part of your life to rob, kill, steal, and destroy because you've partnered with him and that's just gotta get closed up. You got, darkness has gotta be driven out. You may be emotionally unhealthy because you, all you've seen is emotional unhealth and God may wanna bring healing here so that you don't have just broken relationship after broken relationship after broken relationship after broken relationship that you don't, you stop looking at other people to fulfill your every need and put that weight on them, what crushes them every single time. You stop doing that and you grow up and realize that only God can candle that weight. So these may be other reasons why you're tired. And let me just be a moment, moment of confession. I have been tired because of every reason I've given today. Now, not all at once, that's called a crisis. <laughs> and we have those. If two or three of these things, of reasons why we're going through collide, that is a crisis. Not even midlife, it can happen at any point, but it creates a crisis. Every more God entrusts to you always comes with a price tag on an area of your character which needs to be more like Jesus. One day, I had a conflict and I 
walked out of that conflict and I used to have somebody whom I could confide in. Um, and let's be honest, a lot of my confiding was ventiming and gossiping and trying to get people to see my side. I mean, I said it with the language of prayer. I used spiritual language, <laughs> but let's be honest. And I walked out of this time of conflict and the Holy Spirit said, I didn't hear any audible voices, I never heard audible voices, but just like in your knower, what's your knower? I can't explain it. <laughs> like, I just heard no. And I knew instantly, and I decided, and I was like, yeah, right, no, no to them. They're the one who's in the wrong. But I knew what the no meant. I knew what the no meant when I saw my friend that I was not to confide in them any longer. No, and I heard the Holy Spirit say no. And I walked and I saw that friend and the first thing they said is, how did it go? And I said to them, it's just a matter of prayer. And I left it. A few years later, this same friend betrayed me in an incredibly painful way. I didn't know then what the Holy Spirit was saying, pull back now. No idea. But I also didn't realize that the Holy Spirit was dealing with my own heart and how I talk about situations, how I try to bend things to me rather than to the truth. The Holy Spirit was dealing with all of this and it just came in a word, no. Every more God entrusts you, I promise, it'll come with the price tag of something in your character. You may be doing something right now that you think is fine, and then the Holy Spirit comes and says, no more, no more. It's not about looking and saying, well, why was it fine till this point? It's irrelevant, it is no longer fine. This is where God is at work, align. These 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus focuses them on what he is giving them to steward. Drive out darkness and bring healing to the lost sheep of Israel. Last. On this assignment, what is Jesus warning them of? He is warning them of the appetite and the danger of more. In this, if you read Matthew 10, you will see Jesus says, acquire no gold, no silver, nor copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, don't take two tunics, one pair of sandals, not two, only bring your staff. In other words, what's Jesus doing? He is constricting their assignment to the level of their ability to drive. He is constricting it. Now, in the Bible, you will see scriptures like this, and sometimes we need to say, is this descriptive or is it prescriptive? Okay, so is it just describing this assignment or is that something like forevermore? When you see, you know, Jesus says, forgive your enemies. How many of you know that is not descriptive, that's prescriptive. Forgive every time, all the time. 
But in this instance, when he is saying, don't go to the Gentiles, don't go to the Samaritans, again, Matthew 28, he's gonna blow those doors open and say it's to all the world, filled by the Holy Spirit, but not right now. So this is just describing this instance, not every instance. Why do I say that? Don't build a theology on one verse. Look at the thing in context. Because you can go astray. Some of you can be so tired in your soul because you've built a theology around something that God didn't even intend to be prescriptive. Okay. True disciples embrace how more is not always better. Sometimes it's a kingdom distraction. It's a big distraction. Remember, Jesus is teaching them equally about himself as king and what life is like in their kingdom as they pour out. Jesus is teaching them three vital lessons. They freely receive, so they are freely to give his gospel away. That's why he's saying, don't take anything. At the beginning, just give it away freely. Wherever you are received, stay and pour out your cup. And wherever you are rejected, don't quarrel. Just leave and trust the judgment to God. Stop trying to fix the world. That's God's job. You can just walk away. What if we are also to learn these three lessons? Do you know what your current assignment is? Have you added to what God has given you? Where, and here's a great question, where and with whom do you have supernatural grace? There are some of you who have supernatural grace with kids. And some of you, please don't volunteer with kids. (laughs) There are some of you who have supernatural grace with agnostics and atheists. And there are others of you who make us look foolish as Christians. There are some of you who God will give you special grace in politics and with politicians. And there are others of you, hmm. There are some of you who have special grace with students. There are some of you for marriages. For some of you, it's for those who are struggling with addictions of various kinds. For others of you, you've got to identify sometimes your calling isn't what, it's who. Who do I have a special grace with? How does this work? It's a beautiful thing. And if rejected, are you okay to trust God enough just to walk away? In Jesus, there is no fine print, but there is counting the cost. How the world treats him is how it will treat us. It's sobering. The true disciples of Jesus experience rejection, and not because we're being idiots because the gospel is offensive and they will also experience persecution and it's not to be feared it's not to be feared it is to pray God would you give me a soul so full that even in the midst of persecution I can still pour out my cup because of their faith in Christ they will be persecuted by their fellow citizens even within their own families. And finally, Jesus reveals a true disciple's source of strength, the reservoir from which they serve and pour out to others. Here's what he says in Matthew 10, 19 to 20. When they deliver you over, one, two, three, four, do not be anxious. There is a demonic assignment that has gone global that there is a generalized anxiety everywhere that is not from the Holy Father, that is from the Father of lies. And that is not to diminish if you struggle with anxiety at all. I am just saying there are certain seasons that are different in God and there are seasons that are different in the world. 
pay attention to the season that we are in because if there is an overwhelming real and there is generalized anxiety in the world, there is a promise of a deeper peace that God wishes to pour out and provide. Do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. Turn the person beside you and say, I want it now, not then. So do I. It doesn't work that way. For it is not you who speaks, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. And as we said at the beginning, this is really, really profound. The same authority that Jesus carried, he gives his 12 disciples to serve others. Jesus is saying the same Holy Spirit who guides me is the same Holy Spirit who will be in you. So when used by God, you know what there is? There's a good tired. There's a good tired. God created work before the fall. Work is holy. Send a person beside you and say, no it ain't. But there is a spent, burnt soul fatigue which is unhealthy and leads to unholy stuff. According to Jesus, there are five you might be tired if considerations today. If you are serving from an inferior source, something other than the Holy Spirit, you might be tired if. If you are serving outside of your God-given assignment and assignments change in different seasons of our lives. Not recognizing that you are living in consistent and contested space, not realizing that you are pushing back darkness. Hey, pushing back darkness every day is tiring. Jesus knew how to withdraw to his father to be filled. So sometimes our lack of prayer is also a spiritual tactic for us not to be refilled. To live contesting darkness in our own strength with a depleted soul. If you are serving without a consistent time of infilling of the Holy Spirit, that's what I just said. If you are serving but not following, unwilling to count the cost of true discipleship, it will create soul fatigue. Becoming heart strong is connecting to our only source so that you can better serve others. Source and service are forever interlinked. To be like Jesus means we never untie them. At Life Center, as you came into church today, whether online or here, we believe in worship experiences. We believe in the preaching and teaching of God's word. And we equally believe in you and I experiencing God. That God is not just to be worshiped, and he is not just to be talked about with words, but he is to be experienced on a soul level. And that's why we open the altars every single Sunday. God, you can experience God anywhere, anytime. But this is another way that we do that. So today you may need darkness driven out. You may need healing. You may need clarity on purpose. You may be living in fear of being sent out or some of you, you've just taken on way too much and you just gotta put stuff down. I'm not sure what it is, but don't just worship and don't just listen to preaching and teaching. We're a charismatic church, which means open up your soul to receive and to experience the goodness of God. We believe the Holy Spirit wants to do that to fill us today. God, we just posture our hearts to fill us. Sometimes you gotta empty us. 
And so, Father, I thank you that you're not an unskilled surgeon. You're a great physician. You know precisely how to cut something out without harming anything else in our lives because you're just that good. And so, Father, we pray for a fresh infilling of you, Holy Spirit. But what you need to remove or what we need to release so that we can be better filled, lead us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.